I would invite you to turn to Exodus 20. We are walking through the book of Exodus, <coughs> seeking to learn some of the lessons that Israel learned. And uh, as we have read, those, these things are written as examples for us that we might learn from them. So Exodus chapter 20, and we are going to read verses 1 through 21. Moses is up on the mountain, and as we begin in chapter 20, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Well, this is quite a picture, isn't it? A very familiar passage. Ten Commandments. You know, it's interesting, we always picture the Ten Commandments or what was on those tablets that came down. But it's interesting, it says, God spoke all these words saying, and what's the first thing he said? 
The first thing he said is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I wonder if that was the first thing on the tablet. I just mentioned that as an aside this morning, but, you know, the only reason we have the commands is because God has, by his grace, saved us and brought us out of the enslavement to our sin. And so we see here the the giving of the commands. The people have now been gone from Egypt for three months. They've arrived at Mount Horeb. They're going in the exact opposite direction of the promised land, which is interesting. You ever feel like God's going to take you somewhere and you, you end up going in the opposite direction? Or you feel like God has plans, but you're on a, a detour. However, we see here at Mount Horeb, God would keep his people for a year, an entire year. And, and by the way, this is not part of, the, this is not part of the, the punishment of God upon his people. You know, when they, when they came to the Jordan and they, they didn't have enough faith to go across. This is before that happens. And so God here is accomplishing some very important things in this year stay at the base of Mount Horeb in Sinai. This Sunday, and and Pastor Joe will be sharing next Sunday, there are a couple of really significant things that he is trying to teach his people in this place. The focus this morning for us is going to be on verse 20 of chapter 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. This morning I want to talk about a theme here, a lesson that God is wanting to teach his people, a lesson that God is wanting to teach all of his people. And that is summed up in this phrase, the fear of God. The fear of God. When you read the verse, it almost sounds kind of contradictory. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, do not fear For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. So what is he? It's like, okay, God is saying, I don't want you to fear, but I want the fear of God to be before you. And so we're going to think about that together this morning. And that's what I'd like you to ponder with me. Now, some would quickly explain away this word fear. There are those that would say we shouldn't even use the word fear, that the word really means respect or reverence or awe. But, you know, there's some pretty intelligent people. There are some pretty pretty scholarly people that have done the translation. And they could have chosen the word awe, to be in awe of him. They could have said Uh, that we might respect him. They could have said that we might reverence him, but they chose the word fear. There were other options, but they chose the word fear because fear is the best word to describe what the Hebrew word here means. It means to have a some sense of fear of God, and yet we see on another sense we are not to fear God, and so that's what we need to figure out 
in the text here this morning. I have no desire to explain away the word fear or to apologize that we ought to live with a fear of God. People generally fall into two camps. And uh, a lot of us here are a little bit older. We probably uh, understand this first one. And that, that is, there's on, on one, and I'll just kind of talk about two extremes. If you think with me of a clock today, I think we all know that pendulums swing, things, seem to, things tend to go this way, and, and they tend to swing back this way, and it's often hard to find a, a middle balance. And so as we swing over to the, to the one side, you know, it's a, God of, it's a God of judgment, a God you need to toe the line. In your life, God is a, a right. God is righteous. He is a righteous judge. He's going to judge all things. There's going to be a judgment day for some. God is somewhat of a kind of the cosmic policeman who pretty much lets you be as long as you're not going over the speed limit. But if you go over the speed limit, you're going to pay. There are people that see God that way. There are some that checked out of church as soon as they could after confirmation or whatever because they just got tired and had really no desire to know this God who was simply there to judge them and simply there to make sure they obeyed all the rules. For some, he was, God was too much like their dad that never had time for them anyway. Salvation was like taking out an insurance policy. You know something bad is going to happen in the end when you have that accident called death, and if you don't have the insurance policy, you're not going to be covered. And so those in, in this camp really live, their faith is simply about being covered at some day down the road when they're going to need that. And some have just taken this concept of a God of judgment and chucked the whole thing and said, I don't have time for that kind of a God if he does even exist. So the God of judgment, but, and, and then there's the God of, of love. There's a God of love. There's a God uh, you know, who, is, who is good. And so we see that the pendulum has kind of swung, and, and where it used to be, it was very common to hear messages on the wrath of God, the judgment of God, on the dangers of hell. Now that is a rare exception. Now we talk about the grace of God, and we talk about the kindness of God, and the goodness of God, and the forgiveness of God. We talk about John 3.16, that God so loved the whole world. For it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not by works. Christian life is not about works. It's not about performance. And when we sin, there is forgiveness. And we talk about all these truths. In fact, some even would go to, this, to the extent to say, I, uh, I can't imagine a God who would send anyone to hell. In the end, love wins. 
And so we don't need to be scaring people. People already have a, a, a false concept of an, of an angry God. And so people say, you know, the Old Testament God, this Old Testament God, I don't, I don't really understand that God. I, 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 I just live by, you know, Jesus is, is a better example of God. However, those who say that often ignore the fact that Jesus talked more about and warned more about hell than anyone in the Bible. So the, pun, the pendulum has, I think, swung from a God of judgment to a God of love. And I don't know where you fall in that this morning, but we all fall in, in, in some place in regards to that, that pendulum. I have lived long enough, and many of you have lived long enough to watch this swing. I was, when I was in, uh, I kind of grew up at the end. I, I would say if, if preaching on the judgment of God was over here, I probably ended up right about in here and have, have watched it continue to move and move and, and swing back in this direction. I can still remember messages that were labeled as hellfire and brimstone. You remember those? Still remember red-faced, angry preachers warning about raising their voice about the dangers of hell and, and even doing some good pulpit pounding on those old wood pulpits. But when I was about in high school, I, we were really kind of moving out of that. Still talked about the wrath of God. Still talked a lot about hell. Still talked about the need to repent lest we find ourselves in this place called hell. And over time, I have just watched that shift. There's some things that I appreciate. I appreciate more of the focus on the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But I think there's a grave danger in not learning the lesson God was seeking to teach Israel here. I think there's a great, grave danger for us if, if we grow up and, and we do not learn this thing called the fear of the Lord. It's one of the primary things God wanted to teach his people early on here at this place at Mount Horeb. And I think it's critical for our relationship with him as well. So that's kind of a backdrop. And let's just jump into the text here. And I'm going to share two points this morning from verse 20. He's talking about this fear of God, and, and there are evidently two purposes, two purposes for the fear of God here in the text. <clears throat> so here's the first one. And it may not be what you expect. But the first key here, the first thing he's looking for in this discussion and this experience and talk about the fear of God is he's looking for intimacy with his people. He's looking for intimacy. So here's something I'm going to tell you. Be suspect of any teaching on the fear of God that does not have as its end goal moving towards God, being more intimate with God, knowing God in a more, in a deeper way. 
any kind of teaching on the fear of God that does not somehow talk about God's desire to be close to his people, if, if, a, if a teaching on the fear of God is pushing people away, that's not God's intent in any way, shape, or form. When God says he wants us to have a healthy fear of him, he is not saying, I want you to keep your distance. And so we, we see that here in, in this experience. If you go to chapter 19, we're just going to jump back and, and look at a few verses here. In, in chapter 19, verse 19, it says, <clears throat> or not, we're going to go to verse 9, excuse me. 19, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. Why? That the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. So God says, I want the people close enough to hear me. I don't want this to be something that they're just told about. I want them to experience my voice and to hear me speaking to you. Verse 11, he says, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. He says, I want them to see me. I want them to see me. Now, God's a spirit. You can't see a spirit. So God manifests himself here in, in the cloud and the smoke and the lightning. But he says, I want them to be close enough so they can see me. I want them to hear me. I want them to see me. And then in verse 12, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. God says, I do not want them to be destroyed in my presence. God's very concerned here that the people would not be harmed as he's calling them into his presence. Now, I want to read, and if you want to follow along with me, verse 17 in chapter 19. Then Moses, so here's what happens. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Notice the goal here is to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. You can just envision this. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down, come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So Moses is 80-some years old here. It's not a small hike up Mount Oreb. And so he gets up there. 
And, and, and he, he meets God, and, and God says, Moses, I, I want you to go back down. I want you to tell the people, warn them again. I want them to come close, but I, they can't come too close. And so I want you to warn them again, lest they get harmed as they come close to my presence. And Moses said, God, I already told them. You told me that before. I told the people. They heard it. God said, no, I want you to go down and tell them again. Evidently, this was very important, that in the people coming, they would not be harmed. And so one of the things we began to see here is God wants us to experience him. He wants to experience his presence, but he, he, we are learning here that we have to do it. This is a holy God. We are unholy people. We have to approach him in a way in which we will not be harmed. So God wants intimacy with his people, but he also says, you know what, we, it needs to be done in a way that the holy and the unholy can, can meet together without you being destroyed in the holiness of my presence. If we don't understand that, it's because we don't understand holiness. And in, for a lot of people, we don't understand just what it means that God is a holy God. We see they need, they need a mediator. Moses is going right up into the very presence of God. But even Moses, remember, had some limits when he asked to see God. But there's a mediator for the people. There's something being set up here. There's something being taught. Moses is a type of Christ. And so the people can come, but they can only come so close. And as we walk into the, the New Testament, we see there's the veil, and the people can only come so close. And, and God is ultimately going to bring a mediator greater than Moses. One who will tear the veil and, and open up the way for us to come boldly and more fully into the very presence of God. But the goal all along here is for the people to come as close to God as they can. So now we look at chapter 20 again. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And notice what they did. They stood. They backed up. And they stood far off. And so what's the first thing that, that God wants Moses to tell them? Moses. And, and, and notice what they said in verse 19. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let us speak to us lest we die. Pastor, you study all week and you, and you tell us what God has to say and then you come and tell us, but... No, God says, I want you to, I want the people to hear. I want them to hear my voice. But the people are backing up, and, and Moses says to the people, Do not fear. Do not fear. I don't want you to be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He doesn't want us to stand off from him. He is the purpose of this whole encounter is that God is uniting himself with his people. So fearing God is understanding that he wants us to draw near. 
but to come in, in a way that is needed as he is that holy God. And so we know that we, we have to have a, a mediator. We have to have this, this priest that goes before us who is Christ because we are unholy people and God is holy. The stage is being set way back in this time. So here's, here's the first point. God, doesn't, God does not ever want you to fear coming to him. The whole encounter is not to scare the people. It's to establish a relationship with them. It wasn't to say, stand back, I'm coming through. It was to say, I want you to come near so you can hear my voice and experience my presence. So one of the ways that we fear God is by actually coming into his presence. Because it's when we come into his presence that we're able to express this sense of awe and wonder that we can actually approach this holy God. God's goal here was not to scare his people, it was to show him how big he was and how powerful he was because that was the kind of power and that was the kind of protection that was going to be available in their lives as his people. So we see all through the Bible, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Peter, John, they all had an encounter of the presence of God and they all found themselves on, the fa on their faces and the response is always the same. Do not be afraid. John, don't be afraid. Ezekiel, don't be afraid. Jeremiah, don't be afraid. Isaiah, don't be afraid. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you need to hear these words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I want you to come into my presence. Well, there's a second purpose here of fearing God. And that, I think, is very clear. He, he's looking, God is looking for righteousness, right living in the lives of his people. Now, this is connected with the Ten Commandments. And so we don't have time to, to walk through all of them. But it's interesting, the first one. The first commandment is, thou shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And so he invites his people up to the edge of the mountain because he wants them to get a sense of how big and how powerful this God is. Far greater than the gods of Egypt. He says, I want them to know that there's none like me. That they would fear me above all other gods. That means that they would, they would realize that I am bigger and better and stronger and more powerful than all the other gods. And thus, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. I want you to walk with me, and I never want you to walk away from me. I want you to see that I am the source of everything, that apart from me, you have nothing. Gods of this world, they're nothing. They're made of stone and gold and silver. They have no power. They have, they have no heart for you. They are idols. 
So we see that God is, is showing us we are to never fear walking towards him. We are always to fear walking away from him. That should scare the life out of us. The first command is not to worship idols, not to worship other gods. And yet we find ourselves there. It can be anything. Anything that preoccupies our heart and our mind other than God, anything that we began to use in our life to satisfy other than God, and it can be anything. It can be money, it can be sex, it can be food, it can be relationship, it can be moral living. I mean, the Pharisees are classic examples of people who are just focused on the law. It was an idol. Anything can become an idol. And the first command is, you shall have no other idols. You shall have no other gods before me. He says, I want you to sense who it is that's giving you these commands so that you'll take them seriously and so that you won't sin. I mean, it says that right in the text, verse 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Why? That you may not sin. When we lose the fear of God, we begin to sin. When a culture loses the fear of God, it will fall into sin. We see this over and over and over again with Israel. Continually falling, falling into that pattern. We see it happening in our day. As we see the pendulum swing back, we see the abounding nature and increase of sin. Because there is no fear of the consequences of sin. Just a couple of verses here. Hebrews. This is chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But here's what remains. A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The Bible makes no apologies to say that if we walk away from God and we begin to, to just uh, live a life of disobedience and sin, that that ought to scare the life out of us. Because we are looking at, as the text says, we are looking at the expectation, a fearful expectation of judgment, fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This holy God is going to bring justice to all things. He's going to bring cleansing to all things. And, and those that are for him have no reason to fear. And those that are against him have every reason to fear. We see in Revelation 6.15 that in the end times, people will hide in the clefts and they'll be afraid of the wrath of God that will be poured out. And then we read in 1 John, where it says that God's perfect love casts out all fear. God's perfect love casts out all fear. What that's saying is that we can always walk towards God. 
We never need to fear walking towards God. We always should be fearful when we're walking away from God. And to walk away from God means to walk out of His commands. That's very clear here from the text. To be walking towards God is to be walking in His ways. To be walking away from God is to be stepping out of His ways. Thus, in Romans 11.22, it says this, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So the fear of God teaches us it is this healthy It teaches us to live in the awareness of the kindness of God and the severity of God at the same time. Dr. John Piper writes this metaphor of what this might look like. He talks about being in a terrible storm. Imagine being in the middle of almost a cyclone. He said, there's fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life, but then you find a refuge and you have the hope that you will be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanishes from your heart, only the life-threatening part. There remains this trembling or awe or the wonder or the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch from right in the middle of it. And oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God, yet protected by God Himself. I think in some level, it captures here what God is after in, in Exodus 20 and, and what he's after in our lives. Last couple weekends ago, I had, <clears throat> we had our grandchildren with us. And, you know, as a grandparent, you always have opportunity to, to teach your grandchildren lessons. And so uh, for part of the week, we had just one of them. So it was two on one. Uh, my daughter has four of them, so it's usually four on one, but it was just one, so now it's two on one. And so you can be a lot more, uh, you can be a lot more alert to what's going on. And so we had noticed some things going on and some hiding of some stuff, and eventually it, uh, it kind of came to a culmination. My wife was making the bed, and she'd been noticing in her treat box that it was getting lower for some reason. The treats were disappearing. And uh, so in making the bed and looking under the bed, she began to find candy wrappers. And when she called me, she was, um, she was a little bit beside herself, on, I would say on the verge of tears. She, she wasn't on the verge of tears because now where was she going to find the money to replace the candy? She was on the verge of tears because her grandsons were stealing from her. So she said, what do I, what do, I do? And, and I said, 
I said, I think you should just tell them how you feel. Just tell them how a grandmother feels when their grandsons steal from her. And she said, well, that's kind of what I was feeling. So I came home later in the day, and I was giving the boys a ride, and, and uh, I said, so <clears throat> did, uh, did you guys talk to Mimi today? Got really quiet car. They said, yeah. I didn't say anything. And from the back seat, I heard, we felt so bad. We felt so bad. I thought, that's good. That's good. Because stealing is, you know, when you disobey, when, when you break the rules, it's, it's not about what you, it's about the relationship. It's about what it says about your heart in the relationship with these people. God wants us to be close. He wants to be in this relationship with us. And so he wants us to fear him. And if all we're thinking about is, well, if I break the law, what are the consequences going to be? And maybe, maybe it's worth breaking the law because maybe the consequences aren't that bad. But breaking the commands is not just about breaking the commands and suffering. The, the, the biggest consequence is what it says about our hearts towards God. And part of maturing in our faith is getting to the point where we don't decide whether we keep keep the rules or not because of the consequences. We, we decide that we want to keep the rules because we have a heart for God and He has a heart for us. But there's also the fear of consequence and the fear of, of punishment that I, you know, John says that, that perfect love casts out fear of punishment. But you have to take that with a lot of other verses that talk about that we reap what we sow, and there are consequences for our behaviors. And so I, I told the boys, I said, you know, I have something that I remember. And uh, I said, I, and I brought it with me today. I have a, I have a rat trap. And uh, I don't like to tell people this. Please don't turn me in. But um, I have flying squirrels that get into my house, and if I don't get rid of them, They'll ruin my house. So I, I take one of these traps and I put a little cashew right there. Do you know that those squirrels are so dumb that they'll give up their life for a cashew? And that's exactly what happens. And not only will one of them do it, but then the next one will do it and the next one will do it. So I told my boys, I said, I always remember this rat trap. I said, maybe you guys want to remember the rat trap. I said, you know, there's a little cashew there. And if you, uh, you can go for it. But if you want to, I said, I'll let, you, I'll let you try that with your, just stick your finger in there. And I said, it'll be a really good reminder. It'll be a really good reminder that whenever you're tempted 
to step outside the lines. Whenever you're tempted to take that piece of candy, remember it's a trap. Remember it's a trap. And remember that the pain that you will experience will be far greater than the benefit of the four bites of that candy bar or whatever it was. That sacrificing your closeness with God and sacrificing your connection with God for the sake of uh, one of a thousand things in life is probably not worth it. So when my boys left, I said, did you guys have a good time? They were there for over a week. Parents were gone. And I said, you make any good memories? And my one grandson said, learned a lesson. I said, what was the lesson? He said, the rat trap. The rat trap. And so this morning, I just leave you with this reminder that God wants us to fear him. But he always... He always invites us to move towards him. We never need to be afraid. I don't care where you find yourself. I don't care what commands you've broken. When when you're at a point in your life where you realize that you've strayed or you realize you've wandered away, we are never, ever to be afraid of walking walking back to God. Jesus taught us that lesson, the story of the prodigal son. We, 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 We see that here in Exodus 20. Do not be afraid. God wants you to come as close as you can get. But we also are reminded this fear of God. That God is holy. And that we should have this healthy fear of walking away. Never fear of walking towards God, but always afraid to walk away from God. Always afraid to move away from him because we're moving away from the source of life. We're moving away from the God of the universe. We're moving away from the one person, the one being in our life that truly, fully cares about us. So may God use this uh, for his purposes in in each of us today. Father, I thank you for uh, this teaching. We thank you for who you are. And there's just, to see you for who you are, we can't help but fear you. And yet we are reminded in this story that you don't want that fear of you, that sense of how big and powerful and holy you are, that you don't want that to keep us from coming into your presence. And so we thank you for that lesson this morning. And uh, I just thank you that through Jesus Christ that your door is, is always open and that you always invite us to draw near. And so we just thank you and praise you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.